The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. The blue go live button. And we're live. It's Friday, September 3rd, 5.05 p.m. We are late because Ben was telling a funny joke about his shirt, and that was a very good reason to be late. Uh, we are not allowed to have fun anymore, but we are allowed to close out our 500th episode week with Ada Palmer. She is Hello. reclining on her on her chaise. Uh, and um, Ada. What do you want to talk about? Wait, hold on. What were you going to say about Bic Lady Ben? What? Oh, so, <laughs> so in addition to, so I've shared in the in the uh, in the chat the Three Wolf Moonship New York Times story about the the great scam. Uh, the other one was uh, Bic Pens produced a line of pens called. Bic for her or Bic for women. I forget razors, what it was. But like they did it for pens too. No, it was pens. It was not razors. We've taken and, all the ink out, you stupid ladies. We don't want all, to hear what you have to say. All over the world, thousands of women started leaving these reviews. You know, I never felt I could write uh, until there was Bic for women. Thank you, Bic. Now I can actually uh, sign my name. Um, and, uh, Anyone remember I, I, the the wonderful Saturday Night Live uh, fake advertisement for chess for girls? And it was the style oh God, of you know no. kids kids toy ads, and it was like chess 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 for girls, and the was all <laughs> pink and white, and they had pink and white pieces, and the, the queen had long hair that you could rock. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> like the pawn on the end is a baby and a little rocker that you could oh. rock. And, and it had the little brother being like, chess is a boys game. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta look for the ad for chess for girls. It's really good. <laughs> well, just to give you <laughs> Just to give you a flavor of it, um, I will read one of the Three Wolf Moon Shirt reviews that got this whole thing started. Um, uh, uh, so the Three Wolf Moon Shirt has uh, uh, 5,000 ratings, of which five are gold stars. Uh, the first review is... You're going to think I'm crazy, but when I opened the box it came in, I actually heard wolves in the far distance. When I actually put the <laughs> shirt on, the hairs on my arms stood up and I could hear my own heartbeat. I was instantly hungry and ate three steaks raw. <laughs> Afterwards, I fell into a deep sleep and was exposed to a crazy fever dream. I could hear warm drums and the chants of Native American warriors. They were calling me to come join them, to quench the thirst for blood, to wage war and unleash my animal instincts. I awoke to a massive erection that lasted for days. I haven't put the shirt back on since. It's in a box that's inside a box that's inside a box that's inside a closet 
because that's the closest <laughs> to the inside of a room that's closest to the inside of a room of a basement that's inside my house that's inside a neighborhood that I don't visit anymore. I can still hear it calling to me only buy this shirt if you think you can handle it. And there's about somewhere in Texas. And there's about 10,000 of those types wow. of reviews. Can I, can I I, I, I'm sorry. I, first of all, that, that's awesome. And, but I know this is really pathetic. And just again, I, I just I think I feel really inadequate because of Ada, because um, um, everyone loves Ada. Um, and um, but I need to read a review of my book on Amazon <laughs> of, of legality. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I swear, I'm sorry. Please is this just. The one that I left. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. This is, it's true. I'm reading this. It's from Juan P. And it said the book came fast. <laughs> That's I'm like just, amazing. Can I ask yeah, a question? I got five have, stars. Oh, wait, I can ask it to ever, all three of you. Do you read your, your all published authors on Amazon? Do you read all of your Amazon reviews? No. Do you get day. like a notification someone's read that someone's like left a review? I, I never look at reviews unless a friend sends me a review saying that they think it'll make me happy. Um, because I care so much <laughs> that it'll make me dwell on it all day, whichever direction it is. And I found emotionally that it's healthier for me to get summaries, both good and bad, from friends. Uh, I used Serious to read them like pretty that. compulsively, and <clears throat> then I realized that life was short, and uh, and there are a lot of people who don't like me, and uh, their claims on my uh, emotional state is uh, magnified when I spend time reading the stuff, so I don't. But it uh, is fun to go on your Amazon author page to where there's the map showing the geographic distribution uh, of where your books have yeah. sold and really? see how long it takes to sell one in Waco Temple, Bryan, uh, which is often <laughs> that and Flint, Michigan are often the last two to have an in the bookstore bookstore sale in their color coded region map of where your book is sold. No, that, no, that is fine. And it's they fun. update it every Friday. And so I, I would just say just like you know because i'm pretty secure that i don't read all the reviews every day um <laughs> uh, there will be days that i will like like old reviews i will not reread re um, um but but um like definitely i mean who i mean i i that you know god bless you ada that you don't do that but i can't not read it and i can't not hate the people um, you know, um, who said that the book arrived slowly. Um, um, well, that is a great you know, review, so. though, because it's clearly the author's fault. Yes. That, <laughs> you know, clearly the author is the one in control of the speed of delivery. Right, no, but also I get credit because of Amazon's logistical abilities. Right. Like five stars for the book because he got it uh, just right. really quickly, um, yeah. But but Ada, do you do you, do you, do you get? Um, um, I mean, you, I assume there are some reviews you read, like in peer review journals and things like that, right? Um, yeah, I mean, if it's an academic review of an academic book, 
uh, the but sure, but her her series, her science fiction series that we're we're talking about, Terra Ignota, is like is um uh, gotcha. is 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 a is a novel. It's a sci-fi. Novels, it's a, yeah, yeah an So it's a very I, I different world of you know. Yeah, and it's fun also when you log into your Amazon author page. It's a place you can go that gives you a wiggly line of how your book sales have been and they put all your books so there's like here's the novel and here's the second it's novel just like this. here's the flat line of the <laughs> academic book it's like it's sold yeah. a copy in september it just looks like somebody died and it's so yeah. fun to try to compare academic publishing to even you know i'm not a best-selling novel although it's a normal novel sales but academic sales is like mm. it's hilarious so we are not yeah. allowed to have fun anymore. I know, but we are allowed. We're not even allowed to play. Thanks for rubbing it in, Ben. The role-playing game uh, that uh, Ada created uh, to simulate the selection of a Renaissance Pope, but we are allowed to talk about it. And I, I, I have been a long skeptic of tabletop war games, uh, as I uh, explained to Ada. Um, uh, my whole uh, adult professional life, there has been this burgeoning industry of of uh, uh, simulating things that we can't uh, understand in real life, so that we also can't understand <laughs> them in pretend. Um, the Rand, the Rand Corporation specializes. That's how I feel about this. girls' chess. <laughs> you know, and every now and then I get invited to participate in these, um, you know, various simulations of various things that I actually don't want to experience ever, let alone for pretend. Um, but uh, Ada, your uh, simulation struck me as about the best teaching tool I had ever heard of about anything. And so I uh, want you to start by describing what it is and how you do it and how it takes over your life for a period of time. <laughs> oh, not oh, just yeah. my life, it's contagious. It takes over many of my closest friends' lives for about a month as well. Kate, what were you I, saying? I was going to say, if it, if it fits at all, and it might not, it might, might be a separate conversation. We might, we always run out of time with you, but Exoterra, I would love it if you talked about that too. I mean, you just have some really, really, really interesting ways of teaching these ideas and... Yeah. Well, I think, so, firstly, I, I deeply respect uh, disliking tabletop RPGs and, you know, having spent part of yesterday with a friend discussing the multiple indexed tables in my ancestral copy of the original Dungeons and Dragons DM's uh, Dungeon Master's Guide um, uh, to different types of pole arms and how they all work very slightly differently in ways that are utterly mechanically negligible but somehow endearing. Um, uh, I, I love, but also respect those who do not love that. that so, so, so just to game. be clear, my my beef is not with role playing <laughs> games. It is the with Pope. simulations <laughs> of role playing games on the mm -hmm. part of otherwise responsible professionals who yes. think they're going to help the military or help you know the intelligence community or help civil society learn how to deal with say. Uh, Donald Trump by doing a role-playing game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just I just want you to know I just 
tweeted this out because um, uh, based on this conversation, I that I've never been asked to join a tabletop war game <laughs> ever. Um, true, you're the only I'm, one. When you, so, yeah, I, I know. Believe that's me, that's why it's an me, embarrassing confession. Right? Exactly. And like, yeah. what is a trustful Kate? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and they do occasionally simulate things, but the things they simulate are usually not about the thing, but more about human interaction and the way different human interactions work. And I'll tell a micro example and then describe the papal simulation and how it works and why it's different from many other simulation games. But um, there's a tabletop board game called Terraforming Mars. It's a good game. We've been playing it a lot lately. And it simulates a terraforming project which is corporate. And there are corporations competing with each other to terraform Mars. And the more successful you terraform Mars, the more funding you get. And the corporations have different specialties. And it's sort of a capitalist terraforming Mars game. But we noticed that if you remove the sabotaging each other cards from the game and instead play cooperatively in which instead of competing in a capitalist manner you're just maximizing resources by making sure that everybody gets the things that are most beneficial for the projects that they're doing you terraform mars 150 years faster than <laughs> than if you do the competitive capitalist version where you're trying to prevent your rivals from getting advanced which was not in the intentionality of the designers they wanted to simulate the corporate you know capitalism can terraform mars thing it's just a you know a, a very interesting side effect of cooperation versus competition being demonstrated in an interesting arena and it's that type of behavior coming out in a game that is what games are good at simulating, much more so than the mechanics of one halberd working slightly differently from a different style of halberd because one of them is Swiss and the other is German. So uh, for this game, the students or participants have been learning a bit from me about uh, the Renaissance for a few weeks before we start. Uh, and so that I don't fail to say so, I have been assembling a package so that it is possible to run this online and that it is possible to run this outside of a class if ever I get a critical mass of 50 people who would like to do it. That is something that can happen. Uh, but um, it's a simulation of a papal election, specifically the election of 1492. The participants play the people who are involved in this election. Some of them are powerful cardinals who are competing to become pope. Some of them are powerful cardinals who don't want to be pope for various reasons, but might get propped up and forced to become pope as a compromise between others. Some of them are less powerful cardinals who are hoping to advance other agendas by riding the coattails of playing kingmaker or being a supporter of whoever gets into power. Others are not cardinals, but are functionaries, the secretaries who count the votes the master of the kitchens who runs the Sistine while everyone is inside, the per per person who does the paperwork for the Inquisition uh, and keeps track of their records of everybody's dirty laundry, um, the captain of the papal guard. Are, are there uh, lawyers who um, file frivolous lawsuits? Yes, um, Rudy Giuliani's? Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, Brother Vincenzo, usually. <laughs> uh, although Cardinal Toriani sometimes also files for this. <laughs> um, 
and others are playing the crowned heads of Europe who are trying to manipulate this election from outside. And they're not in the Sistine and they're not allowed in the Sistine. They're in a different space, but they can smuggle messages via text message to the cardinals who serve their interests in the Sistine to try to get a pope who will do what France wants or who will do what Spain wants or who will do what Hungary wants or who will do what England wants. That never happens. Or who will do what the empire <laughs> wants. England, England prospers sometimes, but England is often the weakest player. Uh, and the England player is often surprised by that because we're used to coming from the U.S. Are thinking, there cell phones in this universe? So in this universe, there aren't officially cell phones, but we use the cell phones to simulate in a few hours an event which would have taken place over weeks. And so right. the speed at which a cell phone spends a message simulates a horse went and a week later a horse came back. Okay, so uh, follow-up follow follow up question. Is, are there yes. cat memes in this universe? The students make memes um, before it even starts. The, the meme thread starts filling up with... There were a lot of Doge pick memes this year. This is a very <laughs> Doge year. Uh, and they still keep at it. And, and months after it's over, there will still be pictures of Isabella de Este photoshopped into the White House happening that only makes sense if you were there. But uh, the, I mean, this stays with people forever. I have a collection on my desktop of photos my students have sent me of them standing in front of the tomb of the historical figure they played in this because they liked it so much that they went to Spain or Germany or wherever it was to visit God, the God, grave. I can't God even get my students nerd. to fill out the course evaluations. <laughs> no, right. I, I was just going to say, I was going to say, that is, right, that is, um, a, a enviable, um, uptake. Um, no, so you God, have... Uh, uh, yeah. We haven't even got Ada started on this. So, <laughs> Ada, but, 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 it, it sounds like it just, just sound like an like a model UN crisis committee. It does uh, sound like one, doesn't it? And the model yeah. UN students always come into it thinking that'll give them an advantage, and boy, <laughs> do they learn that they were wrong. Yeah. So really why do they crash and burn? It's very interesting to notice how often it's the Model UN students who come in and do the worst because they're used to Model UN and Model UN gives you, here is your goal list. Here are the things you want to accomplish. Here's your resources. You know, these are the things you can offer to other people and trade with them. It does not give you 15 single space pages about how your uncle was brutally murdered by that guy <laughs> in, the, in the conspiracy and then the assassin almost got away but your life was saved by that other guy and so you would do anything for him and your father he was nearly murdered by these other people and and so you come into it with these deep rich carefully worked character sheets that give them a personality and a character and when i'm doing the casting for this they fill out a survey and the survey has questions on it, like some of the characters in this are going to be sincerely good people struggling to try to figure out how to do good in a corrupted and compromised world. Does that sound like something you would be excited to do? And the students who choose to play that, that role, that's Genevieve. You know, they work, they work <laughs> so hard and they, yeah, yeah, I, I talked to them about, you know, it, they, you know, do you think my my imaginary dead father's ghost would be troubled if I made this compromise? Will I be dishonoring my uh, my ancestors? They they stay up late at night because you make the character real 
in the mind of the person by reading that backstory, reading about how when Isabella, Queen of Castile, was a, a young girl and she was living with her mother who had had a, a and what we might call a psychotic break, and they were in a tower with her mother constantly hallucinating ghosts and making her hide under the bed from these ghosts. And then when she got liberated from that and then suddenly was in line for the throne unexpectedly and, and you know, all of her anxieties and tensions about whether she was really meant to be on the throne and she's never sure whether the ghosts were really there. It becomes a very real, very deep character for that person. It is- You know who would be, sorry, hmm? you know who would be great at this game of imagining like what past people, originalists, <laughs> it, is, it is very like that because you know, I don't know how Isabella Castile felt about the ghosts. I know that her mother believed in these ghosts, but we don't exactly. know how she felt. So I imagine it, and I talk to the students about this. You know, this is one set of imagined personalities that these people could have had. Is this person a hypocrite or is this person sincere? We make that judgment call, and they're forbidden to look their characters up on Wikipedia. Uh, until after the thing is over. So they get my version and then they read the public version and then they look at biographies. And usually at the end, as one of the final projects, they edit the Wikipedia page to add new information that wasn't there or notice bits where it's biased in one way or another because of residue of different types of prejudices and so on. You know, So they develop a, a relationship with the character first by internalizing it through this long narrative and then by you know waging this negotiation where they spend three weeks negotiating with each other, trading resources, trying to make deals. But it isn't like Model UN where you can walk in and say, okay, I have this and you have that, let's swap, okay. It's, you know, I know that they have what I want, but my business partner's father's, <laughs> you know, patron murdered their person and so, so you're not allowed to talk we to them can't right be friends unless we go through an intermediary who could be the intermediary is there someone who could negotiate this down and yeah they they memorize that information so quickly they know the, the disciplining mechanism that holds people on. to their characters yeah i mean when when it one of the things about model un is that you're told okay you represent mauritius and Mauritius's interests are X, Y, and Z. But then, you know, Scott Shapiro represents uh, Malaysia and, <laughs> you know, and we're friends. So Ma Mauritius and Malaysia are gonna sort of fuck their interests uh, mm. as stated in the preparatory materials and just do <laughs> what so Scott true. and Ben wanna do. This isn't because... exactly how Model UN worked in my memory of it. There is, there <laughs> is right? There is three mechanisms for that, uh, two of them preemptive and one of them reactive. The first is that I work hard to make these characters very, very gripping. You know, these, these feel like Game of Thrones people much more than they do like Model UN characters. And so people get into it and they get into my side and your side and having a faction and, 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 and really being rivals with the other tri side. Tri tribalism. Yeah. So that's one of them. The second is I talk to them about it and I say, remember, the victory condition isn't achieving your character's goals. The victory condition is playing your character faithfully 
and creating the most intense and interesting possible set of outcomes. If you accomplish zero of your character goals, if you crash and burn, your city is burned to the ground, but you did it honorably true to the spirit of your ancestors, that's victory in this game. Um, and I get the students who are direct enemies, right? The leaders of the Guelph and Ghibelline factions, for example. Now, at the beginning of the session, I have them come out, shake hands and wish each other good luck and remind them that person who is your enemy is your partner in making the most emotionally intense possible adventure that you can co-create. Because that gets the focus onto the goal is being the character. The goal is not accomplishing the goals. And that even accomplishing zero goals, but doing so faithful to the character can be better than if you accomplished all of them and didn't play that character faithfully. Now, the third is inevitably some of them will stray from the character. Sometimes because they're just not playing the character very faithfully. Uh, sometimes because they forgot a thing. Um, and that is one of the several functions of the letter writing. So their homework in between these sessions, which are spaced out over the course of three weeks, is that they write letters in character as their character. And Jeez, they can that write. That's so fun. You're making learning so sneaky. They can <laughs> yeah, write. I know. Oh, no, I... <laughs> they can write to each other. They can write to their sister or their mom. Uh, a lot of them have relatives to marry off. They have brothers and sisters, or they have nieces and nephews, or they have illegitimate children. And they can write to them. They can write to their, it depends on who you have. You can write to the major domo of your palace. You can write to your naval captain. You can write to your chief assassin if you have an assassin group working for you. And you can write to anybody. You can also write to the king of Sweden, who isn't in the game, but you can. That's the rule. Anybody. And you got to reply. No matter who you write to, if it's a player, the player gets to reply and you can negotiate. But if it's not a player, you get a letter written by me or uh, a number of other volunteers who do this, several of whom are other fellow novelists or other historians, or the majority of them, students who did this in earlier years and loved it so much they want to do it again. Uh, and they come back and play the sister or the aunt or the brother or the cousin or the mortal enemy of the person they were before. And so you write the letter and you get the letter back. And the letter back is full of wise, savvy political advice. Or occasionally not, because you wrote to somebody like Raphael Sanzio, who doesn't have any wise, savvy political advice, but he would love What's a job. Would you what give him a do? job, please? Here's oh, okay. a Madonna. Uh, he would love if you would give him a job. Also, he has three friends and they would like to have a job, please. <laughs> uh, and you get a letter from him and you can hire Raphael and Raphael gives you stuff. Can you give your uh, friends to any instructions? Try to hire them. The, do I give the, the friends to do it? No, can you, can as a game player, give your like illegitimate daughter instructions oh, to, yeah. like, to can, write to someone else to like yep. bring them in? Yeah, you can say, you know, come on, Lucrezia, you're the most beautiful woman in Rome. Write a letter to this guy for me. And she will. And That's so cool. all of the letters roll out and all of the letters have consequences, especially they get lots of letters from women and day one, they all get letters and the letters are there on parchment with wax seals and they open Wait, them up you and do their that? faces light up. Yeah, we do that. They're printed on computer, but they, they have the wax Ada, seals. I hate them. you. I, again, don't even have a like functioning seating chart in my class. Like, uh, uh, I have a team. I have a team of friends who help do this. Some of them fly in for it, like, like a vacation trip. Uh, 
Uh, oh, I, to, to be oh, the king of Scotland it. for a week or to be the sultan of, uh, of, of uh, Egypt for a week. And they I get their letters. But the key is, you know, almost all these characters are men, right? Other than three queens, these are all priests and monks. They're all men. But they get letters from their mothers who know the political world. They get letters from their sisters who really care about being married to this kind of person and not that kind of person. And, and they get letters from their sisters who are angry that they were betrothed to this kind of person and not that person. And then write angry letters to everyone. And then everyone writes angry letters. And that's one of the catches for if you're out of character. If a, if a person does something that's out of character, everyone in the world reacts. And so they don't get a out of game, the professor yelling at them, but they do get a angry letter from everyone who wrote to everyone else about how dare you betray the Ghibelline faction. You've been Ghibellines for three generations and now you're marrying a Guelph. Screw you and you wanting to hire my mercenary army. My mercenary army is going to straight to Naples and we're going to burn down your house. And then you get a letter like, our house was burned down. down so, so. And, and, you know, there was, oh, this year, uh, Rafael Riario faithfully playing Rafael Riario, one of the more smarmy and disliked people in the world. I love him because he's a fantastic character. Um, nephew and successor of, of Battle Pope to Julius II. Should have been Battle Pope III, but was thwarted at, at his efforts to be elected. Uh, he betrayed his dead brother's former wife, Katerina Sforza, and abandoned the city of Forli when the Borgia armies were coming for it. And, and he got this letter from his five-year-old nephew, Sforzino, about how they took away his horse... And he cried and he cried in front of the men and now the men will never respect him as a captain. And mama is in jail now and everyone kept saying Uncle Raffaele was going to come save us, but he never did. And and you know Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. and and so the the reality of the world, which at the beginning of the simulation, it's just an envelope with, you know, pink and blue index cards representing male and female people. But you know, players who on day two were, you know, trivially marrying off their sister just because it was politically advantageous and then get the storm of resulting mail over the weekend by the middle of the next week are coming to me. Do you think Isabella would be okay with this husband? <laughs> Is this good enough for her? And, and they develop these amazing, powerful relationships so that sometimes at the end of the game when people get to choose their topic for a paper they'll say you know i want to write my paper about felice della rovere the illegitimate daughter of pope julius ii because her life sounds amazing and i want to know more about her and she's very much the kind of person who doesn't get brought up in history courses and i never say i'm doing gender history but what happens is by the end of it, they understand how women exert power in an all-male space because they're seeing all over the place how the women keep track of what's going on, know who's you know, in relationship with who, take care of ruling the city while the Duke has to ride off to evade enemies and so on. Uh, and they feel all these different strings of power at work in what becomes a more and more real world every time they receive an additional letter. One last wow. question before we go to audience questions. Yes. What is the diversity of results in the election mm. over the many times you've run it? And how does it compare 
to uh, what we know of reality. Yes, so this is key, the discussion afterward, because in a sense there are three different outcomes. It's easy to think of the election of the Pope as the important part and who becomes Pope as the outcome, but who becomes Pope is only the instrumental outcome to the other two, which is what power blocks formed to get someone on the throne? Who were the kingmakers? Because there are certain people who are very viable candidates. There are a couple of people who often or always end up as front runners, but with different people backing them for different reasons. And in politics today, we're very familiar with the phenomenon in which sometimes, you know, there will be a candidate and there will be a particular faction of political interests that realize, ah, we can coast up under this. So who coasted up under Dollar Overright? Was it France? Was it Spain? Was it the East and the Ottomans? Was it Venice? Was it the pro-radical humanism faction? Was it the pro-inquisition faction? And which alliances formed will actually determine more than who becomes Pope because it'll determine what promises the Pope made. So for example, does the Spanish Inquisition get created and given independence? is usually a minor campaign promise that people had to make along the way in order to get on the throne. And in many ways that matters more and to more people and more lives than who is Pope at different points. And then at the end, there's always a war. This is a moment in which the political interests of Europe were kind of a perfect storm where everybody except Italy benefits from war. Uh, and, you know, there's a peace faction and they always try and they often get close. I remember one year they were so close. We had a peace pacifist king of England and he'd worked out this brilliant set of marriage alliances that gave everyone what they wanted. And then someone assassinated this one princess and it all collapsed and England blamed France and France blamed Spain and Spain blamed Hungary and everyone accused each other and exploded into a giant war. Um, so where the war is is totally different. And even though, in general, the papal election will always have the same structure, there will always be the same two... Oh, dog. Best part of oh, any no. Sorry. Uh, There will always be the same two <laughs> consistent, powerful frontrunners, and there will always be a third frontrunner who collects all the people who aren't benefited by those two. And it always comes down to three, and it's always tight until one of the other, them gets knocked out, and then it comes to the, to the one usual candidate versus the front runner and it's always a hair's breadth lightning close it's amazing uh and then and then one side or the other will fold into the first but the war will be totally different because who rode to power will be totally different so is it france that's going to get invaded is it italy that's going to get smashed are they going to burn pisa are they going to burn genoa are they going to burn naples that will be totally different, even if the Pope who's on throne, the throne is the same. And then we talk about both the real history and the outcomes and other past results and how it's been different. And that's where the whole thing comes to be about power and contingency and who actually has power. Because, you know, if your goal is I want there to not be an invasion of France... Lots of people contributed to whether that happened or not. And sometimes it's as simple as a secretary while walking by overheard 
two people talking and realized it meant someone was entering the France faction who isn't normally in it, and then told the Spain faction who it was. And then that rolled into something else, into something else that, that made the war happen here and not there or there and not here. And everyone realizes that the way we tell history is often of major figures, right? We, we use the life or name of a major figure to stand in for a place, Elizabethan England. Um, because it's very easy to tell stories about heroes and villains. We've been doing that since Homer and Gilgamesh. It's a very easy narrative structure. It's very hard to tell stories about plural agency where many, many people contributed one small thing. Yeah. You know, and the fact that Cardinal Piccolomini happened to be the godfather of a mercenary captain who got a letter tipping him off about the Holy Roman Empire having war plans, who therefore wrote to his godfather to warn him, who therefore told his friend Cardinal de' Medici about it because they had been sharing copies of Sallust uh, with each other. And then Cardinal de' Medici told Cardinal Sforza, which then meant the Milanese resistance movement found out. And then the whole war turned upside down because this one letter happened to go to this one mercenary captain. Telling stories about that kind of chaos theory plural agency is a lot harder. It's hard to write into a textbook. It's hard to write into even a novel. But you sure can do it with um, simulation because we have 52 protagonists. And every one of them is the protagonist from their point of view. And every one of them sees the moment when their action changed the fate of the world. And then afterward, when we talk to each other about what each of them did, they realize that every one of them had five moments when they determined the fate of the world, because the fate of the world was determined 2000 times in that two weeks. Yeah, that's absolutely astonishing. I think it's like, yeah, I don't even I, know how to, yeah. Go I want to play. <laughs> I know I want to play, but I also kind of just feel like, yeah. Um, I'm going to let t Tony Kava ask a question because I think it's a great question. I've been actually wondering the same thing is the movie's about to come out and I've been rereading Dune as well. So, Tony, yeah. the floor is yours. Whoop, uh, you there? Quiet. Uh, there's something wrong with yeah. your mic, I think. Oh, really? He's unmuted. Yeah, but it's super quiet. Yeah, we can't hear him. Oh, huh. No. Oh, you're really quiet. You're right. Barely. I can barely hear you. Um, that's a bummer. And right now I can't see Tony either because well, he's, so uh, just read his question. Yeah. I'm just going to read the question. Um, he said in anticipation of the movie, I'm rereading Dune. I am struck by the tropes Herbert used to denote good versus evil hero from villain, etc. sexual orientation, body shaming, physical appearance, etc. Tolkien did the same in Lord of the Rings, good versus bad equals white versus black, North versus South, etc. I'm curious what tropes writers use today that would age better and aren't dependent on race, body type, orientation, other outdated, outdated modalities. Great question, Tony. Yeah. I, I was and thanks for showing about, us Momo. Thinking about this recently, because I've been rewatching the Poirot television adaptation in order. And it's delightful so to see. It's really good. Wait, and with David Suchet? For, yeah, the David Suchet one. It's really a great training for craft of writing because Poirot mysteries are so formulaic yeah. that it makes you hyper-conscious of the differences. And so you can really think about the craftsmanship choices and what was different each time. It's a brilliant way for learning writing structure. But what I noticed is that very often 
if there's a tell as to who did it, it's that they'll be rude about foreigners. Um, oh yeah, that is a thing. That yep. they're very rude to Poro. He's a he's the frog, or yep, he's yep. like I'm not French, I'm Belgian. Yeah. Yes, this and is if, like a very. If somebody did that, I'm they not American, it. I'm Canadian. It's pretty consistent, you know, <laughs> which is different from in Holmes, where when people are rude to Holmes, he will come up and stum. But they won't necessarily be the one who did it, which is an interesting parallel. Um, so, I mean, right now people are working very uh, consciously to try to, or many writers are, to try to not use consistent tells for bad person. Uh, because we're trying to acknowledge the fact that people of all sorts and types and all personalities end up doing things that are both good and terrible. Um, in visual media, especially on Hollywood scale, however, disability and f disfigurement are still used really commonly for the bad guy in Hollywood, but much less so in books because Hollywood is so visual that they want there oh, to be a visual tell. Right? Yeah. They want there to be a limp or a scar or something, whereas in a book, you don't have to have it be visual. It can be internal because you've got the internal monologue of the person. It can be established through an action. Yeah, you know, it's similar to how in television and Hollywood, magic spells pretty much always glow, right? Because there needs to be a visual thing to show that something is happening. Whereas in books, it's much more common for there to be a spell that you do with no gesture secretly and subtly because there doesn't need to be a visual component it can be described in prose um i'm really curious to know um i'm really curious to know like what you think what but like what do you think is going so that's all true but to, to make you answer specific like yeah. i'm glad paula stopped laughing long enough to respond to the thing okay um there's what i would like to know is whether like this is kind of akin to like how in Terragoda you do a lot of work with like fabricated meat. You don't do a lot of work, but I've noticed it. Like the idea that meat is manufactured, it's not. Mm. It's so it's all kind of like plant, like assumedly plant based or like a cell based. It's not like created from animals. Yeah, you have a it's meat like, maker in your kitchen, like having yes, a, there's a meat, right, exactly. And so like, but but like that. Um, that kind of did this work for me of making me realize like what which i try to do regularly like what things do i engage in that i don't think twice about in my culture and how i'm living right now that i would that would be like the norms will shift such as they will be just like outdated yeah. things and one of the biggest things i think is like the farmer-based meat type of thing we talked about this before but like what do you think that will be for for I mean, the difficult thing about Tony's question is that, like, it kind of, like, is just this level of unconscious bias. And it's not in your books, necessarily, but, like, in other books. Like, I mean, what... I'm sure there's unconscious bias in my books because we're not aware sure, of our unconscious you're a human. Bias yeah. yeah. So, no, but but like, the yeah. thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at that exact example, would be if I were using the meat maker imagining this future world in which, in which eating a real animal is very uncommon, and very few people do it, and many people find it weird and scary. And I and I and I play with that. There's a sinister sequence where someone is chewing meat off a drumstick, and it's so creepy. Um, yeah, uh, I love that. Part. Sorry, yes, sorry. Yeah, but I mean, if 
I were using that the way Christy uses someone being rude about foreigners as code for this is a bad person, then I would have the people who eat real animal meat be the people who are bad. And I don't do that. What no, I do don't. is have the it's people who eat real animal meat be people who thought very hard about this and made that ethical choice to make a different ethical decision from the ethical decision that is the norm in their society. Just as right now we have vegans and we have vegetarians and we have pescatarians and we have people who eat meat. And I respect all of them if they examined this decision carefully and yeah. thought about it and thought about its philosophical consequences. And I have the bad guy tells be that the people want to increase human suffering and say so. Which is not a... <laughs> Not yeah. Even, which is no, yeah, you're you're very yeah. Time, it's but, a, it's yeah. yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, Paula, okay, I'm bringing Paula in. Um, let's, oh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, hold on. Hey, Paula. Um, Paula in our role playing game is the inclusive legal positivist. Um, oh and, oh no, 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 she's too smart for that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. She's not drooling yet. I know. <laughs> um, well, the, but, the pants are wet, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Paula, what is, uh, you had a great question. And I think that, um, yeah, I think it's, I, I think that it's, I don't know, kind of, I kind of want to know this about Ada. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, all of you guys can answer. Um, I think, so the question is, do you believe in paranormal events? And I mean, like the whole spectrum of like paranormal events. I mean, like from Harry Potter, like you are a wizard, Harry, to like um, the stuff that you see on like cable news, like when there's nothing playing at like 1 a.m. and like Santa, who's like demonic, comes to your house, like that kind of stuff. Like the, the whole thing. I literally don't know anything about demonic Santa, but you have to answer well, this question like first. Those TNT Ghostbusters shows where it like happens to be Christmas and the ghost happens to be dressed up like Do Santa. you believe in paranormal activity? Me? Yeah. Uh, no. And I like, I, I think it's kind of like, I don't know if like, it's, I think it's interesting. This might be like a hot take. Like, I think like if anyone thought, like even those like, there are some people who have beliefs in it. Like if you really think about it, like if you told someone I believe in it literally, no one takes it seriously. Cause if they did, like mm. you would, I don't know if you, it, it's like, you would have to see a doctor. Like, well, so I'm good. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I love that you just like think there's like some entity that would like make you see a doctor. Like I mean it in the most extreme sense. Like imagine if like you had like you knew someone like Harry Potter who thought like he was a wizard going every year like to this school oh. and none of it was true. Like in your like maybe your child or someone who told you that you would say um i think we should see a doctor but people have these small beliefs and they'll tell you in passing oh my god i believe there's a ghost in my house <laughs> but we don't this see is, this is the this is the hidden paranormal voter theory. i know <laughs> well, I, I think that paula's question is a valid no, I also I think that it was spurred from a while ago by Ada's like telling of like the woman and like the like in the um in the like the tower having this imagination of like all of these ghosts coming to her. I think it's a valid point. Like 
But I, look, so, yeah. I, if you say, I believe in paranormal activity in the sense that Paula means it, uh, uh, I don't know if somebody will take you to the doctor, but they will think you're pretty odd. On the, on the other hand, if you say, um, I believe that uh, Pharaoh's magicians uh, made their staffs turn into what? snakes and Moses made his staff turn into a snake and it ate Pharaoh's snakes and that's because our God beat up their God. That's called Judaism. Wait, wait, no, that, you... I mean, so, that's exactly the line I use when I teach criminal law because there's a deific. <laughs> the, 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 so they didn't like this at Cardozo. Well, and so but very I, importantly, but... it's not that Pharaoh's yeah. Pharaoh's wizards can't make their sticks into snakes. It's that Moses's stick snake is better than their exactly. stick snakes, right. which is radically different from the there isn't any power of the other thing approach right. that exactly. is a much it's... more 17th century. Ooh, I, want, I want Scott to finish really quick. Scott, what, okay. what do you well, I, I, I've accumulated five answers to this question, so okay. don't take too long. I, well, I, I wanted to say was that there's this thing called the deific decree um, doctrine, which is that if you believe that God spoke to you, you're you're per se insane. Um, and so the the claim is, if you think that God spoke to you, you're insane. If you believe that God spoke to somebody else, you're religious. Particularly a uh, long time ago. Right, right, right. But yeah, but it doesn't even have to be that long ago, right? I mean, Latter -day no, that, that decree is actually very recent because anxiety about people thinking God is talking to them increased after the Quakers split in the 17th century. A lot of this stuff people think of as going way back is actually 17th century. If you know of a Christian religious decision about doctrine in Subway, it's probably from the 17th century, uh, yeah. when they had to make a lot of decisions, made a lot of things be in turmoil. Um, but so, so zooming out from the paranormal question, I think the most useful starting place is a scandal-focused biography of King Christina of Sweden, who died in the 1690s. And she is awesome. Is awesome yeah. and is a very complex figure who I'm writing about and in a nonfiction book Probably the right first now. trans. Really? Figure. No, almost. we have way, we have tons of trans people way before that. But she's almost but A very well-documented person who has a very complex relationship with gender and what pronoun we should use was very unclear. Wait, which was the original and which was the end? In different. Uh, neither. Okay. King Christina is, is uses the male king in legal language, but king and queen mean different things in that century. It doesn't really matter. It was matter. raised by like... this council of seven wise men who had Christina raised doing men's activities, but then there was a betrothal and a conversion and ghosts and everything is very complicated. Uh, and then, like, Christina would wear male dress most of the time, but had friends share their bed of both sexes and then moved to Rome. And then the Pope was like, you must dress like a girl. And then Christina dressed as a girl for a while and then visited, visited Louis XIV and then murdered a dude chasing around with daggers in her house. And there was blood everywhere. And so then Louis XIV's mom was embarrassed. So then Christina couldn't be king of Naples after all and had to go home. And a whole lot of other things happened. And, and so the language pronouns that were being used were feminine throughout much of it, except for masculine in some of the legal documents. And the dress oscillated back and forth, and it's all over the place. So, yeah, really cool person. But so, so in the bio, right? 
Descartes was her tutor, right? Yeah, for well, for for almost a month before he died of pneumonia. Um, Wait, really? What? Yeah. What? He got teaching credit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, say. that's why some people say, "Oh, King Christina, <laughs> the one who killed Descartes, right?" Because he <laughs> moved to her palace and then got uh, and then got pneumonia and died. Um, and so clearly, it's her fault if he got pneumonia and died. Well, no, the biography is full of people who she, die. And it's like this is her fault that 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 this person she, was executed for a sexual assault that happened at a place where she wasn't. It's, it's just well, like, she, she insisted that he get up, that he tutor her at 5 a.m. is the, and again, well, as some, as a teacher who, again, who is very concerned about how early they teach. Do you I just know what time of day Descartes normally got up? 11 a.m. I just want to say, I My just want to say, say nine. So but, I just want to say, Scott, we should okay, not there's be three minutes about left and, medical conditions because I don't even know Paul's question. Now I'm like, you're fucking me all up on like how what pronoun to use with Descartes. So just like actually, <laughs> like, Descartes, Descartes took male pronouns. Okay, <laughs> but but Christina. So but in the biography, one of the things it says is Christina was superstitious and uh, wasted time on all sorts of charlatans arts like astrology chemistry and dowsing and that's like the, really, like the water stick thing yeah like or, exactly and notice that one of those three is not like the others from our yes. pov right because new sciences and new arts and and things become mainstream and less mainstream and more mainstream cyclically and so when we're talking about do people really believe in paranormal or in aliens or in different things, it means radically different stuff in different decades. And it's important to remember that. Believing in astrology in 1600 is something different from believing in astrology in 1400 or in 1700 or in 1900. And one of the very telling elements of this is the differences between the movie adaptation and the original of Watchmen. And I'm going to try to state this as carefully as I can for those who aren't familiar. But the ending of the original Watchmen, which is a stunning piece of work, depends on you understanding that in the 1980s, belief in aliens being likely to show up sometime mm. soon was mainstream. And the, the mm. threat that there would be an alien mm -hmm. danger was a mainstream normal thing to think. But in the point when the movie is coming out, <laughs> hey, I'm avoiding spoilers. What are you doing? Uh, at the point when the movie came out, most teenagers who are a major audience going, you know, that they wanted, didn't know that it had ever been mainstream. It had always been super kooky. And when they tested versions of the scripts on that demographic, right, Teenagers, you know, my undergrads were not prepared to understand that ending. And when they watched the movie and then read the book, they were like, the ending of the book was stupid. And I was like, no, the ending of the book was brilliant. And they were like, but no one would ever believe the thing. Because what had been a mainstream odd belief moved to being a fringe and mocked odd belief that makes people laugh. So when we're talking about paranormal stuff, Remember King Christina of Sweden moment when chemistry was as sketchy as astrology and dowsing, whereas astrology had been the biggest thing that states spent on for war about a century mm -hmm. earlier. 
you know, Machiavelli was getting serious orders from his commanders when he was uh, running the surrender of Pisa, saying, make sure they surrender before six in the morning on X date, or it'll be unpropitious and we'll never hold the city. And he ignored but it. that's actually the problem yeah. in Afghanistan. When <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the defense department's, yeah. af, you so know, astrology about, department was yeah. not adequately consulted. So when we think about the entire <laughs> giant category that is people thinking this paranormal stuff, you know, 99% of that is nonsense. And 1% of that is, in fact, something about the Earth's magnetic field that we're still working on understanding. Or about the human body's magnetic field that we're still working on understanding that will be something we understand in a hundred years the same way we understand chemistry but people didn't at the time that king christina of sweden was playing with it in her um in her laboratory so that you know what we need to think about is that things move they move between being you know, a minority opinion, a fringe opinion, a mocked opinion, a mainstream opinion, a nearly universal opinion, or a truism. And this is a spectrum that things move back and forth. And this is much of what, as an intellectual historian, I study, is what makes people, what makes ideas move back and forth? What made the existence of vacuum, which for a long time was a test of madness, that you would have to be a mad person to believe that that you could lexically say the word there is vacuum and not realize that it's oxymoronic because vacuum isn't it isn't is it's isn't well you i know, mean like of course you know and i just want to say that like this is why whenever anyone talks to me about mis and disinformation on the internet and i'm like this is just nonsense like you can't like like i'm like the CDC said this thing, it was scientifically true, and now it says something different and we should follow it, but like that doesn't mean, it's just like, it's just, yeah. No, I totally yeah. get it, and I agree with you completely. Yeah. We have to wrap, we'll ha have you back. I actually, you didn't get talked about Exoterra at all, and I feel like we could have talked more about the, the Pope game, as always, but like, EG is here to play us out on our 500th episode anniversary with a song that he composed about in lieu of fun. How are you doing, E.G.? Doing okay. Um, in honor of the uh, discussion you had earlier about uh, reviews, I have my own review T-shirt. Oh um, yeah. Which, um, a little snippet of a review I got from Americana UK. If you can't read it, it says, "It's hard to see this album having wide appeal." Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the haters, E.G. Anyway. Don't even like worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I printed up the one just so I could wear it when I went to a music conference. I never got around printing it up. Um, this is the Amuro Farm theme song. Sure, you heard about the murder hornet. What about the saber tooth anchovy? Lots of shows have their tech issues. Have you ever seen a baby cannon blow up the host's computer screen? <laughs> not allowed to have fun anymore. Of fun, let's at least not be bored. Come on, recourse, it's time to gather. Meet our guests. Join the 
banter. Post a question if you want to be raptured, because we're not allowed to have fun. Tate has encounters with animals. Ben's dog shirts are nipple. Relevance <laughs> and then infestations. Cheese nuts are totally a regular thing. Oh, we're not allowed to have fun anymore. So, in lieu of fun while you avoid your chores, come on, we course. It's time to gather, meet our guests. Enjoy the banter. Post a question if you want to get raptured, because we're not allowed to have fun. Experts in COVID and Corbett's will celebrate cicada swarm, trash talk Putin and Pompeo, and drink every time someone says no. Because we're not allowed to have fun anymore. So in lieu of fun, see what we have in store. Come on, request. It's time to gather. Meet our guests. Join the banter. Post a question if you want to be raptured. Because we're not allowed to have fun. No, we're not. No, we're not allowed to have fun. Come on, everybody. We're not, not allowed to have fun. We're not allowed to have fun. No, no. Wow. Thank you, Josh. That was excellent. Thank you, friends. Amazing. Ada Palmer, you're a great American. Ducks with pants, you're a great American. That was amazing. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, now I'm going to have it stuck in my head for another two months. I just got it out. <laughs> Happy 500th episode, everybody. Yeah, cheers. Very, very, very honored yes, to be with all of you. Thank you for having me. It was a special honor being on for this one. So. Thank Thanks you. for doing it, Ada. Yeah, Ada, you're the best. I'm so glad that you got to come on. E.G. Phillips, you're a great human being. I'm going to, that's going to be my tagline when I sign off, Ben. I think that like, yeah, I don't really care about nationality. So I'm just going to say that. And then I'm a, yeah, there's no judgment. Um, but uh, E.G., uh, I absolutely love that song. And Ada, I always love talking to you. John senses love. He can't be around today. Um, and also so does Mike Godwin who has a bunch of questions for you, including one that I'm not going to ask, but I'll text you. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, we will be back in a while on Monday. There are some hours in between there that I'm not gonna count right now. <laughs> and uh, I don't think we have a guest yet, but we nope. are lining up slowly some people for the week. And um, yeah, we will see where it lands. I have never been happier to spend 500 hours with people than with all of you. So thank you so much. And uh, truly like it's been, it's been awesome. Ben, Scott, Genevieve, Ada, see you guys later. See you. Bye-bye.